I found out on June 8, 2013, that I had pancreatic cancer. I went in at stage 2, and most pancreatic cancer people show up around stage 3 or 4 and have, you know, 6 to 8 weeks left to live. So I did, after much thought, chemotherapy and radiation, and it was very successful. They thought I was going to be one of the lucky ones who might have a very positive outcome. I would say within 14 months, it came back. And that's where we find me now. And I have elected not to do any more treatment. According to the odds that I was given, you know, I might get three more extra months of life, but the quality of that life would not be substantially improved. And so my entire goal is to live life as fully as possible. I think that this choice that I've made to forgo extra treatment is just part and parcel of my personality. I want to stay open to what is and to do things in an open-hearted way. And I think that's what my decision represents. And my two daughters support me. My community supports me. My family supports me. My neighbors support me. And I feel incredibly blessed despite the fact that this is a pretty harrowing journey at times. It is much different than I imagined, and I think that's what we're always grappling with is our assumptions don't necessarily match up to reality. I look really good, like I look healthy. I look fit. I don't look haggard. But my body is going through some things that the doctors can't quite figure out. And in fact, my oncologist said I shouldn't be experiencing pain for quite a while, at least not from the pancreas cancer. But unfortunately, I've been dealing with a lot of pain. On May 2nd, I took a huge fall and bruised ribs. and So we're trying to sort out and isolate you know, which pain is which so that we can properly treat it. So along with that comes drugs, and I'm rather drug-averse. Seeing myself as somebody who is now taking methadone, sometimes morphine or Dilaudid, it involves like a whole new definition of self. And I have found that really difficult to embrace. But I have to because when I'm in pain, that's when I really actually stop being myself. And so I'm starting to have to learn a new relationship with the part of the medical field that can assist me. And I would say that drugs are going to be a part of my life to alleviate and mediate pain I've just had a hard time with that. One, just constitutionally, it sort of makes me weepy. Two, philosophically, it's just like, what, me, <laughs> doing all of this? That self-definition, wow, it's it's just changing so much from the cancer, from the drugs, from my relationship with my children. They're taking care of me instead of me taking care of them. I don't think I banked on that. I, I think I had a, a more glossy picture in my brain about what this might be like. My daughters, I could cry for days about the support and love that they give me on a daily basis. The selflessness, the concern, the joy, the love, the humor, the tears, sometimes the anger. Not much anger, though, I will tell you that. It has transformed our family. We all feel blessed. We feel scared, we're sad, but we feel blessed. We're doing everything we can to make the best of these moments. So my younger daughter just got engaged a little earlier than she had planned to. 
and in fact will be getting married in a very private ceremony in August so that I can be there. And then they'll have their big wedding next summer. What a testament of of love in action. I mean, she did that so that I could be there. Not only because she knew I wanted to be there, but she wanted me there. How do you put that in words? You know, I wish my voice didn't sound so flat. I'm in pain and so sort of speaking in a monotone, but these acts of kindness, cancer made that happen. And I know that there will be changes in Libby's and Emily's life because of this that are not all bad, that are not all about the grief of losing their mother. They had wanted me to get more treatment. And when I said no, you know, the first time I did it for you, now this time it's got to be for me, they rallied around that. And so that's when those conversations started to happen, that they don't want me in pain. They want me to live my life purely. And if this is what it means, they support it. They feel that I'm the heart of the family. What is it going to be like to not have that heart center where they're used to having it? And how will they create that with their father and their stepmother? That's also talking about me dying. I had been a long-time meditator. 15 years, and starting about two years ago when I got sick, there's something that happens when you're on chemo and when you get really sick and your ability to focus, or at least my ability to focus, I should say. And I've really lost my meditation practice, which has been really, really an interesting thing. And I used to really judge myself harshly about that until I realized maybe what I'm doing is sort of living a meditation you know, this day-to-day walk with cancer. And I don't use words like battle. You know, you're hearing that more and more these days, that it's better to befriend one's cancer than to treat it like a, you know, a war crime. I'm trying to treat my cancer in a loving way, to respect it. The focus isn't just around meditation. I find it hard to read. I write poetry. I'm finding it very hard to write poetry. I can't paint. So there's this aimlessness that I'm dealing with. And I think it's driven by the pain. You know, I think if I can get more relief, I'll be able to do the things that hold meaning for me. Sometimes I rail against the way my body's reacting and think, oh, where's that energetic body? I look in the mirror and I see somebody who has always looked 10 or 15 years younger, and suddenly I look at pictures. Excuse me. You know, and I don't don't look the same. I don't radiate the same joy that I think I always used to do. And I look older. And it's not a fear of getting older. It's what it represents. It's that I can't deny this anymore. I can't deny that I'm sick. You know, the physical appearance is reminding me. Because we don't walk around looking at ourselves. We don't see ourselves. We are just being ourselves. We're just living ourselves. But, man, you walk in front of that mirror and all of a sudden you go, holy shit. So I guess that other relationship to self has to do with denial. I'm understanding that I didn't think I was in denial up until now over these past couple of months, but I have been. I am moving into that stage of realizing that the really hard stuff is coming in relation to my own self and in relation to my children and grandchildren, marriages, and just, I think, what I offer life. I've been a pretty expressive person. What happens to that energy? Where does it go? 
I do think it will return, whether it's as the wind. I don't think I disappear, and I don't care about the meanness of it, you know, the I. It's the energy of it. It's. I think I've learned good things in this journey, and I'm hopeful that my next go-round, that wheel of samsara might turn a little and catapult me to a little elevated stage of presence and awareness and consciousness. I think we all, when we face something transformative, and for me it was divorce, you know, I didn't really appreciate that there might be something more or bigger or better or larger or beyond. So now I know that to be true. I just know it. And it's because of this experience and the fact that that the good comes with the bad. What extra is out there? What is beyond? I don't know. It's just something, it's like a thread that you follow. It's it's coming up through the middle of your body and out through your head, and it feels like it just leads me. And it leads me to know that if I see the blessings, if I love as best I can, if I accept the gifts that people are giving me, that that is the way to do it. I've just come to understand that we are all one. All these different faith traditions speak to the same thing. I just feel fortunate, like I have entered some awareness that leads me and comforts me and feeds me. And it's quite simple that we are all here as one. And when we tap into love, I mean, that's it. The lo- just love is the answer. I mean, I God, the Beatles said it 30 years ago. It's just love is the answer, you know. So let's get with it. Stage four is an interesting stage. It's up to us to show people not to be afraid of it. We don't know how much longer we have left, but nobody does. Talk with people who are stage four because they're at the end of life. They don't know when it's going to happen, but they know it's happening sooner than later. And don't be shy. I have friends who know how sick I am and they don't know what to say to me and don't reach out. And then I have friends who talk and talk and talk about it. And then there's everything in between. So I think our role as stage four is to facilitate that conversation with the community so that the community can know the ways in which they can support cancer patients in a real way. You know, we think we've gone so far in the past 30 years by wearing pink ribbons and saying the word cancer and not keeping it quiet anymore. But we really don't talk about this this end stage bit. Be there. Make time for one another. Let's go sit on people's porches and eat scones and laugh and have a good time and bide this time together. Don't make it so lonely. Ask not how are you feeling today, which is a really hard question to answer, but what do you need or anything on your mind? What do you want to talk about today? Because when you focus on the physical, it puts them in a really tough position. It gets boring. It gets tiring talking about one's health. So have the deeper discussions or just laugh or cook together. To me, it's just about enriching the life that we have and knowing that the people that are in stage four are there. So spend your time with them, learn what you can, and see if it informs the way you lead the rest of your life. Who am I now? What am I doing? What is it I want to impart? I probably want to get my poems together for my kids. I want to write down some words of wisdom. I just value my kids and my friends beyond the describable.
I love them so much, and they are my life. That's what I value, and I can't get enough of them. And I just hope that I've given them something that they can bring forward with them. What I value is that essence of me that is formless and um, has nothing to do with this physical body. Hopefully it's my spirit and my love and my self-expression. My friends keep sending me prayer flags. We make prayer flags. So we're sending wishes out into the universe so that not only am I healed, but hopefully everybody is healed. So there's that wonderful Tong Wen practice where you kind of take on the pain of the world. And two years ago I used to do that routinely, and now, of course, I don't, and I'm just hoping somebody's doing a little Tong Wen on my behalf. (laughs) I guess the other thing everybody should know is that I have become totally addicted to chocolate, and I eat it whenever I want to. Really important lesson. Oh, man, it just puts a smile on my face. And it's like that indulgence, you know, all these stupid things that we sometimes deny ourselves for whatever ridiculous reason. And I just go, excuse me, no way. I am having my reason, R-I-E-S-E-N. There's these chocolates called reason. And so around here we call them my reason for living. (laughs) My family, my friends, my life gives me joy. Music gives me joy. There's so much that gives me joy. It's just that there's also all this other damn shit involved, the cancer. Color gives me joy. I can look at the beautiful night stars here because it's so dark where we live. And I just look up in awe. And when I see the full moon from my bedroom window, I'm, I'm catapulted to another realm. And Emily and I went and ate a bagel downtown in Newburyport the other day, early in the morning, in the sun. And I was just telling her, everything looks so green and the sky looks so blue. That's what gives me joy, you know, just all the color and texture in the world. Just keep an eye out for the beauty. I mean, because it's easy to just focus on your body. It's easy for me to say, shit, I can barely breathe because this fluid is in my lungs and I feel like a strap has been cinched around me. So, yeah, that's really easy to notice. But don't forget there's all this other wonderful stuff to notice. So try to get out of yourself. My memory's kind of shot. What I have are good feelings. I feel really loved.